Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to Matthew chapter number 7. While you are turning there, let me uh, <clears throat> say a couple of things first. Uh, number one uh, is uh, if there are hangups this morning technologically, I apologize. Uh, this is my, my first instance of um, using this sort of technology, and so uh, I apologize for that. Um, I do want to give a, a abundant thanks to lots of folks who have been so instrumental in uh, helping all this occur this morning. Eliza uh, from here and, and Matthew and Nathan uh, up in the box this morning. Um, I want to thank the deacons for uh, getting everything ready for communion and um, for Vicki for for just doing everything, I think, this week. Um, I want to thank you all for your many uh, notes uh, and calls and texts of encouragement um, and offers of kindness. Uh, our family is doing well. Uh, we have uh, made it through. We are very thankful for uh that we have all been vaccinated. I cannot imagine what this would be like uh, without it. But uh, anyway, uh, I encourage you to uh, to encourage everyone, if they can, uh, to get this uh, vaccine uh, just for that protection. All right. We return today uh, back to the lectionary, and in and we find ourselves in Mark chapter number seven. So let's prepare ourselves now uh, for Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word, which we know to be all truth. Lord, uh, this is a, a an account in the life of Jesus that is is difficult in some ways to hear. Uh, it's difficult to understand. We've heard it many times, but Lord, there are some there are some things in it that it just don't seem right. So we pray today that you would just help us to to hear from you, and that this text would bring new meaning into our lives. Father, bless me with the words that are needed for all those who are gathered together now. For we make our prayer in Jesus' name, Amen. All Jesus wanted was some time away, a refuge, a secluded place far from everything and everybody that craved his attention. And so Mark 7, 24 tells us that Jesus traveled from Genesaret some 50 miles to the north to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is uh, modern day southern Lebanon, to recharge to process all that had been happening in his life and quite possibly to grieve. And who really can blame Jesus? A quick glance over his recent days shows an emotional roller coaster that certainly he had to be riding on, hanging on for dear life. Chapter 6 
begins with the shock of Jesus being rejected by his own friends and neighbors in his hometown of Nazareth. He was rejected so much that he could not perform but just a few of the miracles that he had been able to perform freely and abundantly in all of the other places that he had been traveling throughout Israel. He then faced what I imagine from my own perspective, to be a little anxiousness as he sent out his apostles by twos to go and preach the gospel and to heal. He did this without him going with them. So I know he had to be anxious as they went out for the first time. And then came the news that Herod had thought that Jesus was the reincarnated John the Baptist, the resurrected John the Baptist, whom Herod had executed. So Jesus must be wondering, is his life safe from danger from Herod? Regardless of this, though, he pressed on. He pressed on and fed over 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And he followed that up by taking an evening stroll across the lake. Arriving in Gennesaret, where people brought to him the sick to heal. With so many coming to him, imploring him, the scripture tells us, that they could even just touch the hem of his garment that they might be healed. Can you imagine the crush of all these people calling his name constantly. So many hurting, broken people. He might have spent all of his time trying to help them, these hurting, these broken people, but he got sidetracked because here comes a delegation from Jerusalem, a, a delegation of self-righteous Pharisees whose principal concern isn't the hurting and broken people that are coming to Jesus, though that should be their principal concern. Their concern is that some of Jesus' disciples eat without washing their hands. And they use that as a pretext for engaging Jesus in a theological dialogue. So yes, it would seem to me that Jesus deserved some time away. He needed it. We read about all of these events on this side of the cross, but beloved, we need to remember that while Jesus was fully divine, he was also fully human. And as we shall soon see, his humanity is getting ragged and harried. How can I draw such a conclusion? Well, it seems to me to be the only plausible explanation for how Jesus would treat this mother broken by her daughter's condition. Look with me at Mark 7, 24 through 27. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden but immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, 
and he and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus's interaction with this woman is missing something that you and I so often see when he is talking with people who are hurting and broken. There is, seems to always be an undertone of grace. And if you're anything like me, you bristle when Jesus calls this woman and her child, her little daughter, dogs. We may attempt to provide any number of excuses for his reply to this mother. As we already mentioned, he's emotionally spent from the last few days of riding the roller coaster of events. He's tired. After all, he's had to walk this 50 miles, which equates to something like 10 hours of walking just to get up to tire from Genesaret. He's hungry. If he did it all in one day, he's arrived now here in the evening. Maybe he just wants to eat and go to bed and rest. And yet here comes this woman bursting in with her continual pleas for healing. Regardless of the excuses that we can cook up for him, Jesus' statement becomes even more difficult to wrap our head around when we consider that the parallel account of our morning text found in Matthew 15 has the woman referring to Jesus as Lord and the son of David. And there her pleas are so continuous and Jesus refuses to even acknowledge them that the disciples ask Jesus to send her away. They're tired of hearing her. Jesus isn't responding. His, his, his silence is resolute, and her pleas are weighing on them. Clearly, then, it seems Jesus' desire for withdrawal is making him deaf to the needs of this hurting mother. It would behoove us this morning, beloved, to ask ourselves if we, too, fall prey to such deafness. How often do we allow the pursuit of our own wants to drown out the cries of others' needs? We might create any number of good excuses for why we are pursuing what we are, but do our excuses compare in any way to the continuously felt needs of those who are despairing of life? who are teetering on the edge of depression's chasm, who are hungry and cold and possess little but a physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion that causes all that we are feeling to pale in comparison to their need. Maybe, though, there's another force at work here. Maybe what Jesus is suffering from is not deafness but blindness. Mark takes great pains to tell us that this stricken mother is not a Jew. She is a Gentile. Some translations will say Greek. Mark tells us that she is a Syrophoenician by birth. What is it about her that defines her as such is not recorded? Could it be the dialect that she speaks? Possibly. 
We could suppose that she bears some physical features that show her to be outside of the Jewish camp. Maybe it's her clothing. We don't know. We, we are not afforded such knowledge this side of heaven, but it would appear that whatever it was that defined her as one outside of Jewish life caused Jesus to be blind to the faith that she had. Remember earlier we noted that Matthew 15 recounts that the woman refers to Jesus continuously as Lord and as the son of David. Indeed, at the very end of the Matthew account, Jesus' eyes will be opened such that he will declare she has great faith. To be sure, this faith did not suddenly spring up after Jesus called her and her family dogs. Beloved, how often do we allow ourselves to be blinded to the faith in others that there resides in others by assumptions we make through physical sight? We miss so much that we would that could enable us to grow and to be stretched in our faith when we allow such assumptions to blind us to the faith that is before us. But it's worse than that. It also means our blindness does. That while God has an open invitation to the world to come to his table, to come and taste and see that he is good, that while God commands us, his followers, his disciples, to go out into the highways and into the ditches of this world and bring folks into God's banquet table, our blindness causes us to treat his table as one that requires reservations based off of whether we believe rather than what God declares, they should be at table. And what is sad to me is the fact that these days we exclude people from the table of the Lord over silly and and supercilious things like how someone thinks about the raging issues of the moment. We'll say things like this, I can't eat with them. They're Republican. Or I can't eat with them. They're a Democrat. Just this morning, someone messaged me about how someone was excluding people of faith based off of whether or not they had received the COVID vaccine. We can't say, I'm not going to eat with you because you don't believe in science. And we can't say, I'm not going to eat with you because you let fear override your faith. Beloved, when we do that, all we are doing is narrowing and narrowing and narrowing and narrowing the table that is supposed to be a full and open table where all can come and taste of the grace of God. All we are doing is becoming like Jesus when he says, let the children eat first. Thank God, though, this mother pushed back. 
She reminds Jesus and us of something about those that are excluded from the table, that there is plenty of food for even those we think unworthy of coming to table with us. Even through a ministry of crumbs, God provides for us all. Notice verses 28 through 30. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the, excuse me, and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Beloved, have we gorged ourselves so much on the table of grace that we are so fat and happy that we refuse to see that the starving of this world would be satisfied with crumbs? Can we not go and offer them an invitation not to crumbs, but to the table. We might think that they are unworthy, but clearly here they are eating off of the master's table, the woman says. They might be eating crumbs, but they, they those crumbs are, are sufficient for them, and they want the, even the crumbs. Maybe it's time for us to do as we are commanded to do, to go and seek them out, to look under the table, maybe, and say, crumbs are good, but you're missing a, a bounteous feast. Here, I've left room for you. Come, sit with me here at the table. And some of us might be saying, I just, I'm not sure I can do that. Some of us might be saying, I can't go and, and invite someone to, to faith. I can't go and reach out to someone. I, I'm just this little broken thing myself. But, but hear me, beloved. We serve a God who believes in crumbs. If he didn't, why did Jesus in the previous chapter after feeding the 5,000, tell the disciples to pick up the broken pieces and bring with them. If he didn't, why, after hearing this plea from this mother, why did Jesus say, your daughter is healed? If the crumbs are something that is disregarded by God. Beloved, God can turn anything into fine dining. All he asks for us is to go and bring people to the table. And so I ask you today, who are you leaving out of the table? Who are you causing to continue to grow hungry? All are welcome at the table. All are called to come and dine.
And so as we now prepare for table, there are two questions for us to answer. One is, are we excluding people that we shouldn't? And two, are we engaged in fulfilling, in, in not fulfilling, in dining at the table in such exuberance that we would bring others to the table? Or maybe we're now we ourselves are just finding sufficient crumbs when God calls us to feast on his bounty. As you know, I awoke Wednesday morning with an inability to taste. I keep suffering from that inability to taste. There's nothing I would crave more right now than to be able to taste a hamburger. Beloved, there are lots of people who just want to taste and they don't know how. Let's resolve today to not give them reservations, but that we may unreservedly say, come to the table and dine. Let's pray. Kind Father, we thank you that you call us all to table and that it is an abundant table that you have placed before us. Help us, Lord, to not exclude people from table, but help us to go and pull them in. Help us to feast so sumptuously on your provisions of grace and love that we want others to come and taste it as well. Help us remember the little and the broken. That they might become restored and great at your table. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.